3: Give me two. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Michael Govier. He's Benjamin Chase. You know us because this is the Palazzo Podcast. Prospects Power Half Hour. Two two Z's. like I said. Utah. Make sure you follow us here. Two. Connect with us. Subscribe. All that stuff. You know how it works. I'm not going to go into details. Today, this is a big moment for the show. We've been doing the show since January of 2020. Well, the Palazzo Show. We've been doing this Prospect show now. This is our second season, right,
2: Ben? For you and yeah. I together. Yep. And I,
3: I yep. love this show. I love doing it with Ben. And this is all thanks to Ben that we got today's guest from MLB Pipeline. Rarely needs an introduction, I would assume. He is the man, the myth, the legend. Jim Callis is here. Welcome in, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a big moment for the show. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your butt. I'm just really thrilled that you would take the time out with us.
4: (laughs) I know, glad to. I I love talking prospects, so anytime. All right.
3: Well, this is going to be a great show. The live chat will be open. We'll try to answer some questions if we can here in our time available. Uh, Jim, right off the bat, Before we dive into everything, I'm just curious, how do you see today's state of affairs when it comes to the prospect analysis? So, you know, there's some people say there's a lot of groupthink. Sometimes we all get collectively caught up in a lot of the same thoughts on similar players. How do you separate yourself and distinguish yourself amongst a mass audience of a lot of prospect analysis, more popular than ever?
4: Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because when I started at Baseball America in 88, my first full time job out of college, nobody else was doing prospecting knowledge, yeah. uh, prospect analysis. I mean, the sporting news had kind of backed out of it and kind of gone into doing, I don't know if they did a ton of prospect analysis in the first place, but they'd gone from being the Bible of baseball to trying to cover the four major sports. which why Alan Simpson kind of stepped in and created Baseball America. And I think we're the only people really rating prospects, to be honest. Maybe the sporting news did a little, because I know our top 100, they, they did a top 100 prospects book, which kind of, inspired us to do our own top 100 prospects list. I think 1990 was the first one. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot out there today. Um, I just think, I mean, for me personally, I mean, I'll look at other lists just to see, you know, more of a cross check. Hey, like, is there somebody that I'm a lot lower on, a lot higher on than the consensus? And why is that? But I, I just try to do my own work. I mean, I try to talk to as many people as I can, you know, we get. I don't think we get as much data as some of the outlets do, but we, we do get access to some of the data. So we look at that. We look at statistics. We get to see players. I mean, it's obviously you can watch almost anybody on video. Mm-hmm. It exists pretty much everybody. But it's just, I guess, do your own work is um, uh, <laughs> this the easiest way to answer that question.
2: Yeah. And so I guess for me, Jim, I know I think back, when you guys got started, I think maybe, you know, being a guy out here in South Dakota, for me, baseball weekly had like once a month prospect coverage a line some stuff, you know, and then in right. the off season they'd give you, Hey, these are the like the next prospects to talk about, which is usually like three guys and you know, if it, it was usually somebody who you were pretty darned aware of anyway, if you were anywhere, you know, a fan because they talked about them during the radio broadcast and such. I guess for me, you know, you've, you've kind of, you've worked at really two of the bigger, I guess, bigger prospect publications. And um, you've had a chance to really see now 35 years of growth in the industry, growth or diversification, however you want to call it. But, you know, and uh, I guess for you, is it more, do you think we're doing things better evaluating prospects now Or is it something where perhaps there's so much information that maybe we're losing sight of the player and looking more at, you know, I get, for me, I guess one of the questions I have is when you get to the amateur side and there's, you know, my 14 year old nephew was on an elite team this summer and (laughs) playing with, with the South Dakota elite team all over the country in these tournaments. And I'm thinking, well, that's great exposure for him but holy cow the fact that we have to think about that at 14 years old to me is kind of a, a scary
4: thought yeah it's crazy i've never covered i mean i i pretty much i've never done the international guys, so i've always started with the draft so it's basically been high school seniors i haven't delved lower but i know there's sites that rank that stuff i mean i do think the coverage is better just because we have so much more information and and i i i like to think you know, just like I think teams would probably tell you in any sport that they're drafting better, that they've learned from past mistakes. I, I like to think I have learned a lot or have learned from mistakes and experience back in the day, but you know, we, we have so much more information. I mean, when I started, I mean, this can make me sound really old. There, there was no internet, there was no, oh, let's call up video and look up the, this guy on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like when I worked at Baseball America, our most amazing piece of technology when I started was we had a 1-800 number for subscriptions, but we'd also get people in baseball would call it. Like scouts would call us on that number from the road. And again, this was a long time ago. Nobody had cell phones. People were just starting at cell phones. And if you used a cell phone, it was like probably $5 a minute for a call. And even long distance was a, you know, through the roof. So having this 1-800 number where scouts could call you back from the road whenever, was great i mean there was none of this you know texting people hey you know how good is this guy's arm or what do you know about this guy it was you know it was a lot long but like so anyway information's a lot more available i I still look back to when alan simpson was covering the draft when i started baseball america i don't know how he did it like he'd have these detailed scouting reports for guys all over the country and again this was pre-internet so like if you found out about a guy it wasn't like somebody tells you about a guy and you go look up his college stats you go look up his prep baseball report or perfect game profile and find out some background on him. You didn't have anything. There was none of that. You had to make mm. phone calls and and Alan did it. And so like, I, I just think we have a lot more information. We have data. I, like it, it's weird though. Like on the flip side, I do think that sometimes it's, it's you, you could fall in the trap of, I'm not trying to be critical of anyone, but like just spitting data out to me in a report, yeah. like isn't very readable and there's more to it than just pure data. Um, I think, sometimes it's interesting to me to get people who are like oh man I saw these guys in person and it's like okay but like what are your scouting credentials like like you saw him but like just because so-and-so is saying hey I saw this and his arm action this and the spin on his breaking ball it doesn't necessarily mean that guy knows what he's talking about so I do think there's there's a lot more information like but like you were kind of alluded to there's a lot more noise I don't think it's great. The, the proliferation of pressure on 12 and 14 year old kids and where do they rank and you know I gotta go to a bunch of showcases so I can drive my ranking up. I mean that part like the showcases do serve a purpose, but I also think that because of how much information's out there, scouts don't miss on too many guys. There aren't too many mm-hmm. guys who fly under the radar either. So I think sometimes people can overdo the showcases to some extent. So I think it, it's it's obviously exploded in my 35 years both I think mostly for the good, but there is some downside to it. Yes.
3: That's some great stuff here. We're live with Jim Callis from be Pipeline. I got a couple of things here, Jim, what you just said. First off, someone wants to say hello. Hey, Jim. Look at that. Dynamite drop-in, Mike. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, Also, secondly, I don't know if you've ever heard this, and I just watched this movie recently, so it's fresh in my brain, but you kind of sound like – the guy – did you see the movie The Chicago 7, The Trial of the Chicago 7? This came out a couple of years? Okay. I well, not. It's based on real people. It's no, a real trial. Who cares about that? But yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy who plays Jerry Rubin, who was this guy, you sound just like him to me. I'm hearing uh, –
4: where are you from originally? Uh, from the D.C. area. But I live in ah,
3: Chicago. Chicago. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm yeah. a Metro Detroiter, so I'm in the Midwest. What up? Uh, that's interesting. Go. And then lastly, credentials with scouting, as you just alluded to. Everybody can make their points and say, hey, this guy looks amazing, even if you see him live or you see him on tape. How do we get or separate people who we think are more credentialed? And I guess I'm really asking you, and maybe this is – I'm not trying to disrespect you at all or scouting, but is scouting difficult? Is it difficult?
4: Oh, it is. I mean, because the thing is, I mean, you're going to be wrong a lot because you're projecting. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like – like, I mean, you like to think of how often NFL and NBA scouts are wrong. And those guys are stepping straight in. Like, there's going to be guys who bust, who were top five NFL picks, who are ready to play in the NFL as soon as they picked them. I mean, for, you know, I mean, the exception, I mean, this year with the Paul Skeens or Dylan Cruz, those guys might be in the big leagues next year. But most of your draftees are at least two, three, four, five years away from the, the big leagues. International guys are even further away when you sign them at 16. And so you're going to be wrong. So I I think it is really difficult. I, I, I just look at it like, I mean, I, I, I've done this long enough that I can see some things, but I I look at myself as a reporter and not a scout. Like I try Mm -hmm. to talk to a bunch of people whenever I'm doing, you know, whether it's a draft list or a team list or the top 100 or the Arizona fall league or whatever. Um, I don't rely on just, Hey, okay Hey, I watch video and I don't like this guy's swing or I love this guy's swing. I mean, yeah, my personal opinion, you know, obviously creeps into it, but a lot, like if, if I love a guy and I talk to five people and they're like, no, that guy's not very good. I mean, I'm making this very (laughs) simplified. I'm not going to be there necessarily pounding my fist going, no, I'm right. And and, like, I report what people tell me like, so it's not, you know, I, 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 I mean, look, I try to be organized and, and I do have my opinions. But, you know, I, I, and I wasn't trying to put anybody no. down in particular, but I'm just saying, like, oh, yeah. like I know, like, you'll sometimes see people tell, like, oh, you know, all our reports are based on firsthand scouting as if, like, like, okay, but I'll just throw out a counterpoint. Like, if I'm doing draft stuff, like, I could go to a game, like, Chicago, like Dylan Head, Suburban Chicago, first-round pick of Potters. Mm-hmm. I could go yeah. see Dylan Head play and, you know, and maybe I'll get lucky and he's facing a good pitcher. But It's high school, so maybe not. You know, maybe, like, what if they walk him through? But hey, let's just say I go get one look at him. Do You think, well, what's going to be more informative? Me telling you what I saw in that one look, or me calling four scouting directors and five area scouts and talking to them about Dylan Head and getting their opinions. I mean, it's not am close. Yeah. So, and again, I'm not saying my way is best, but I'm just saying, like, I know people will be like – just answering that previous question, people will be like, oh, like all our things are based on first hand looks. But it's like, okay, but, like – You have, like, there's just in in MLB, there's good scouts and bad scouts. Yeah. And just like in prospect coverage, there's guys who are good and there's guys who who aren't good. It's just the nature of the business. And so, just because somebody sees somebody firsthand doesn't mean that they're gleaning some insight or correct insight that somebody else doesn't have. And and similarly, like, I mean, I think the data, you know, with X velocities and spin rates and pitch shapes and all that, it it matters. It does. But again, that's not a be all end all. Mm -hmm. And that stuff interests me. But I also don't love reading reports if somebody's writing up a report where it's just all data like, oh, this guy hit this against 92 plus, but he hit this against change ups and his exit velocity was this. Like I could get AI, you just give me the data. I could have AI Ooh. write me that report. Like mm-hmm. so, um, so anyway, like th- there is so much information out there. And I guess as, if I were more of a consumer than a producer, I would – I mean, I think you just consume as, you know, like there's so many out there and you can tell, I mean, if you read guys over a period of years, you'll see who's seems to know what they're talking about and who doesn't. And like I said, I, I tend to like people whose stuff is sourced because, you know, like, like I know they're talking to people in the game. And I mean, look, there's like any other aspect of this, there's hot take artists. who like to be like, Oh, I'm first on this guy. And I don't like this guy. Well, like, I think the hot take artists kind of get revealed after, you know, pretty quickly if you can mm-hmm.
2: you yeah, that. Yeah, that's that. true. And that's – yeah, I was just saying, I know my – being in South Dakota, my main way to see guys is video. I mean, I'm six hours away from the closest minor league park, yeah. which is, you know, it's the same distance to Minneapolis for me. So I could – I mean, I can either see a major league game or a game in Omaha. Either way, it's, you know, the best – but yet – whenever I have an evaluation on someone, it's almost always six, seven looks I've had at that person intentionally looking at video on them going, okay, I know I need to have an opinion. Let's see. When is, so let's say, you know, using Paul Skeens. Paul Skeens is going to be facing, you know, Fredericksburg. And so I know that that's going to give me a good look at the hitters in Fredericksburg to see how they match up against Velocity. You know, and you watch, you kind of intentionally set up your your views on video to go okay i need i want to see this guy and i want to see him get challenged a little bit but yet i also maybe i go back and i find a game where he was four for four with three doubles that gives me a good look at okay well i saw him face somebody tough what's his swing look like when he's really going good for a day you know is there a difference in that swing versus the swing i saw you know things like that and it's you can do a lot with With that video. Yeah, you can't see everything. It's different. I get it. You know, I I shoot high school baseball as part of my life. I see that a lot. You know, it's a very different game than when I watch that same game on video. It doesn't look the same, but you still can get a lot of the reads just by watching that video
4: so yeah no exactly and like i said i mean there's like it's great to go see players in person too and i'm Mm -hmm. not knocking it i just i was more knocking the people who are like oh like act like that's the only way to see players because it's it's not and again it's the same thing for me like we have like when i worked for baseball america we had minor league teams all over the place here i think the closest team probably hour and a half two hours away yeah so like again i could be more productive talking to scouts than like Making two hour, you know, and that's just to get to the game. You know, making yeah. a day to see one game, like you know, it is what it is. You got to, you know, make a, you know, take advantage of what's available. Yeah. Well, that's the nice thing. I mean, it's crazy. Like again, if you had told me when I was started that in the future I could watch like minor league games or college games live on my phone, that would have been like. What like my my rotary phone? What are you doing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> how's that going to work? Um, yeah, so it's like it's yeah.
2: it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, so, yeah. Jim, Jim, I noticed I noticed that you've got your uh, Georgia baseball shirt on. Yep, yeah. and uh, you said you got your start there and left in '88. So I'm guessing I, I just I did
4: my little Google, Google cursory research. Did you get to report on Dave Fleming? I did. I did. It was funny. So the first year I covered the team was in 87 and we went to the college world series. for First time in school history. And we had two first round picks. We had Derek localist, Chris Carpenter, were on the pitching staff. Chris Carpenter was also our punter, which was in vogue at the time. There were a lot of baseball playing punters in college football. Yeah. Billy, Sp- <laughs> Billy Spires was a Clemson's punter. Vince Coleman was oh, a punter. Yeah. I the, yeah. there, there were a bunch of Darren erstad later down the road was yeah. a punter and kicker. Um, and uh, we had a third big leaguer, Steve Carter, and then the draft kind of decimated the team. And Dave Fleming was a freshman in '88, so I covered his freshman year. And then one of the, one of the cool things was I, remember I got to cover. Well, I went to Baseball America back then. Again, the industry was totally different. There was no internet, there were no blogs. It was just newspapers, pretty much, and, and magazines. And most 99 percent of the people, if you want to go into sports writing, you'd go work for a small paper and you'd edit copy and make sure the box scores fit and. You'd cover high school football, and basketball, and maybe get a chance to do a feature here and there. And I was fortunate. I went straight to Baseball America, and we had, I think, four full-time editorial employees. And so we did everything. I was editing, writing, assigning photos. You name it, I was doing it. And I was our college international baseball guy. And so I got to cover the 1990 team that won it. I was in Omaha. And I'd gone to school with most of those guys. So that okay. was – I'd had classes with a bunch of those guys. So that was – that that's still I mean that's geez, thirty-three years ago, but that's still one of my fondest professional memories was that team winning the College World Series. That was pretty
2: cool. Oh yeah, no, I uh one of my first baseball games I ever attended in the Metrodome was uh Dave Fleming complete game for the for the Mariners
4: in like ninety two or ninety three. So he won seventeen games as a rookie and then he got hurt and that was, you know, he kind of hung on a little bit, but like he was, he had, he had the one big year. I think he won, I want to say, seventeen games oh. as a rookie. And he yeah. was a, I, I think he hit a little as a freshman, like he wanted to become a okay. full time pitcher. But Derek Lilquist was a big two way guy for us, and he was kind of the guy who replaced. Love Derek, Derek Lilquist. And the guy, who, the guy who recruited him, the guy who recruited him was Hallie McCann, who was Brian McCann's oh. dad. Oh, oh, was our really? assistant. He, he was our big recruiter who had like a pipeline in upstate New York, and a pipeline to Sarasota High School where Derek Lilquist and we had a number of players come out. Of Sarasota. I love
2: Derek Lilquist. Yeah, see, that, that was a a Fleming versus uh, Kevin Tapani game. There you go. And I think it was it was either one or one or two to nothing. I th- I think is what it was. That's I loved because I love Kevin Tapani, so that's what I was hoping to see. It was a good game from him, and then I, they lost. And like I said, I, it was Twins got shut out. You know, so being the them being the local team, that wasn't any Jim. Good, I, yeah. I can confirm so far, right
3: now that Ben so. is just uh researching for his next immaculate grid, so he's just trying to keep all these names fresh in his head. Yeah, exactly <laughs> what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> he's really good at it. This guy is amazing. I've seen his scores, it's incredible. He gets like the 0.007. I think,
4: Fleming, I think yeah. Fleming pitched for the Royals maybe briefly on yeah. the comeback trail, so maybe if we get that Seattle KC. I yeah, Dave yeah. Pretty, Bill pretty Kruger weird.
3: flashbacks. I,
4: uh, we got, yeah. we got go. the live chat going on here. Chad <laughs> just said that he
3: confirmed that McCann was big up here. We're live with Jim Callis here, Plezzo Podcast, 2Ls, two 2Zs. Two Make sure you follow Hit him me on too. Twitter or X, whatever the hell they call it now. I'm MJ Govier, Big Gentle Ben. You'll know where to find it. I want to get this question in because he's been patient and Chad asked it. So it's the one question It just has two pages. So bear with me, Jim. This is for you, of course. Here we go. Question one for Jim. In 19 to 20, we saw some rather aggressive rankings for Pipeline that didn't really seem to pan out. In 2021, we saw a change to a slower ranking push, almost like the foot was taken off the gas as we saw Painter slowly climb. And now this year, we have seen even more aggressive rankings than ever. Are these all coincidence or were each of these conscious changes?
4: (laughs) I mean, this will sound like a non-answer. I don't really have any idea what he's talking about. Um, Like, Like there hasn't been like about like what aggressive rankings. I mean, I'm not saying we're not, we're we're infallible, but I don't know what rankings we had that were aggressive that didn't pan out. And like, no, I mean, look, I mean, you constantly try to learn. So if we were doing something like, I don't know, like overrating third baseman for some reason, we might say, Hey, we're misevaluating these guys. Or if we were blowing rankings on, Pitchers and pitchers are tough because they get hurt. But like, if we had something systematic, that we're like, "Hey, we're repeating the same mistake here and it's not working," we'd do that. But no, like, I, I don't even know what aggressive ranking yeah. means, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, does that? I mean, I know sometimes people are like, "Oh, how can you rank draft guys before they've even played?" And it's like, "Well, would you trade for Paul Skeens right now or not?" Like, like if you could have any pitcher in the minor leagues. Yeah. Right yeah. now, I'm taking Paul Skeens. This is before he pitched. Yeah, you know, he was on our top hundred before he pitched, and um, I had. I think Dylan Cruz is fourth. I don't have our list in front of me. Yeah, I, yeah, I would take Dylan Cruz over almost any prospect in baseball, just because he hasn't played. Doesn't doesn't change that. But no, I don't. Maybe he'll follow up. I don't know what, how we were aggressive or then slow playing guys. Like so, no. I, I there was nothing conscious. The one part I can definitively answer: there was no no conscious effort in any of that um, to change how we were ranking guys mm-hmm. and we weren't trying to be aggressive and then dialing back and then being aggressive again.
2: So something like, for instance, um, you know, I, I was covering Braves prospects when my ton came up and boy, that just, that changed how kind of you'd listen to Braves guys. Now they're just, they're not ever ready to buy into an international guy anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, Guanipa looks like the thing, you know, he looks like he could be a heck of a prospect but nobody really wants to buy into him because they got burned so bad by Myton. Never mind that Myton got taken away, but you know that that burned a lot of of coverage and nationally too, because Myton
4: was up in like the top twenty of a lot of people's. I know. List. I think we had him in the thirties or forties. Yeah. The international guys are tough, and here's why they're tough: because one, you're projecting so far ahead mm-hmm. um, on these guys. So that's one. So we generally almost never rank guys until they start playing and go from there. Like, we will rank them on the team list, but not on the top 100. And so, on one hand, you're like, these guys are so far away. We need to be cautious. Kevin Maiton's a cautionary tale, obviously. Um, Christian Hernandez, we ranked pretty quickly, and he's kind of leveled off in the Mm Cup system. Jason Dominguez, we were talking about this. We moved him down our list when we did our midseason update, and he's hit like 400 since then, and now he's in the big league. So it's like, and he was in like 240 and on pace for like 160 strikeouts even though he's young in double A it's, it's, it's tough to know what to make of these guys. So, but you get torn. Cause on the other hand, you look at how many great international players there are in major league baseball. And then how many, you know, it, it's like, so we feel like we're, we're on those guys. Again, it's, I wouldn't say it's a concept, but we're like, we're slow to recognize it. We make them prove it because they're so young. And then you feel like, Oh, we're missing the boat. So when a guy gets like super hyped, you're like, okay, we're going to rank that guy. And like, we didn't rank, Wander Franco or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right away. But we did rank them pretty quickly and aggressively once they played in the Appy League. It's, it's just, it's just tough. Cause the other thing is they sign and then they go play in the Dominican Summer League, which isn't, it's like, I don't know, the equivalent of high school ball, maybe like, like it's like, it's better players, but like it's 16, 17 year, year olds. You guys aren't throwing strikes. Guys don't have much of an approach it's hard to really read anything of like, I don't think those stats are very predictive mm-hmm. at all. Unless the guy is struggling, then it's a, a point of concern, but yeah, it's, we talk we still talk about my time. Like, like we, like he was supposed to be as good an international prospect as there had been in years. And he hasn't been very good at all. Yeah. And so do you get aggressive with them or do you, you know, dial back on them? Yeah. And I mean, look at that. I mean, that's a pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You crushed us. Otani's a little bit of a freebie because he was coming over from Japan, but what's funny is our scouting report on him was glowing, and it was probably light in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, 2018, the
3: top three, Otani, Acuna Jr., and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's that's outstanding. Eloy is a guy, he gets hurt, but his talent's there, so I would totally support that still. And then there's obviously the guys that don't always work out. You know, Victor Robles, he can't hit. He can field. He can run.
4: So Yeah. He, I mean, the data was a concern on him. He, he didn't have high exit velocities, um, and that's proven out. He just does not hit the yeah, it's ball It's a crapshoot. I mean, couldn't you say it's
3: still a crapshoot, even yeah. though you put tons of work into this, right? Is that fair to say? Stick around for more Palazzo Podcast. After this, Ben reveals the meaning of life. Up next on the Palazzo Podcast.
4: Yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, it's funny. I mean, it's just like I don't think teams would ever acknowledge – I mean, the playoffs are a crapshoot because it's like you're playing these short series now. I mean, if you're a walker team, you got to win four short series. Even if you're best record in baseball, you got to win three short series. And, but nobody ever wants to say it's a crapshoot because then it, it – I don't know, it feels like it diminishes it. And, no, I would say that it, like if you could have one factor in – take my job out. We'll say I'm a team. I'm trying to develop talent. If you could have one factor – the biggest factor might be luck. I mean, whether it's injury luck or you know, there's all these story. You know, guy discovers a pitch. Well, the Dodgers been in the playoffs or, here for
3: ten years straight, right? I mean, obviously.
4: Yeah, it's like the Braves oh, yeah. back in the day, and like they've, they've got oh Ben's ready to talk about to that for two for. hours. Like, yeah, I be- <laughs> Nah, nah, nah.
2: I don't want <laughs> to go but, back and remember that.
4: <laughs> but you're right. I mean, with the problem, mean, yeah. you can have we have more information than ever, and you can look at any you know whether it's our list or. FanGraphs or Baseball America or ESPN or The Athletic or Baseball whoever's list you want to look at, we can take them all. Like I just rattle off six of us who I think are pretty established, and we can go back. We could five years from now look at our list and let you think, think about all the data and video and resources we have that we didn't have before. And we look at our list five years from now, and it's gonna be the same thing. We're gonna be like, man, that guy's good. That guy's good. Oh, that guy's not good. Oh, that guy got hurt. Like, like just think about. I mean, Andrew Painter didn't do anything wrong. Andrew Painter oh. looked awesome. A year ago, Andrew Painter coming into your best pitching prospect in baseball. Is he going to make Phillies open to a roster? If he doesn't, he's going to be up. He's going to help him. And now he might not pitch until 2025. Um, and I don't think we're, I mean, and that that one's not anybody was right. wrong. He just got hurt. But like, there's going to be guys who we have ranked very highly who, you know, have a flaw that hasn't been exposed yet and <laughs> yeah. just get exposed to the big league level a lot. Well, there, there's off field stuff too. Like guys get into trouble or, I mean, I mentioned Wander Franco. Well, I mean, you can't predict that that, crap. Who could see that coming?
2: Well, and 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 actually that one kind of tails right into I was just looking at the, the 2019 list and probably if you wanted to say your biggest quote unquote miss in the top 10 is Forrest Whitley. But going into that, absolutely. The stuff is absolutely best in baseball at the time as far as a pitcher. And then Nixenzel isn't looking too good either. At least well, he can't stay healthy either. He had vertigo. He's got
3: all <laughs> I mean, kinds of stuff going on there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I mean, Whitley ended up
4: having that. You know, got himself into some trouble as far like off field. It was that was a minor so, thing. That was yeah. I think he took Adderall. He had a long yeah. drive or something. But it was just crazy because just like I, like years now run together on forced Whitley. I can't even remember <laughs> yeah. what years what anymore. Like was he drafted in? Was he drafted in seventeen? 16 or 17. Um, wherever he was drafted, he, his 16. first full year in pro ball, he got to double A and he yep. looked awesome. And he went to the fall league. And I would have thought he'd make the rotation the next year. And that was a year he got suspended and he got hurt a little bit. So he's back in the fall. league. He led the fall league in strikeouts two years around. I always say with him, I've never, I've seen him pitch like seven or eight times live. He just looked great every time. So I'm great for two straight years in the fall league. And then he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And I do our Astros list too. So coming into the year, let's see, 20, is that 16? Yep. Yeah. 16. 16. Yeah. Um, so coming into this year, I think I ranked him, maybe we, do we have our list done? Yeah, I guess we did. I think I ranked him 20th on the Astros list, which was the lowest we've ranked him in a while. He's not even on the list now. We dropped him in season because he, I think he's had shoulder issues. But the funny thing was I was in spring training. I was at Astros camp. I saw him pitch two innings and he looked awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's I like, like, I wasn't saying, oh, I'm all in, let's put him on the top 100. But I was like, Forrest Whitley looks really good. So I, I think that maybe I just have to be, they need to hire me to shadow Forrest Whitley. <laughs> you know, I've seen him pitch. I saw him pitch in, at Wrigley Field in the Under Armour game, probably in 15. Um, and he pitched good there, too. I think I've seen him pitch literally eight times in my life in person. And he's looked really good eight times. And that's like, you, with the pitchers, you just know, I, I can go. Way back to when I started at at Baseball America, I think the second year we did the top 100, 1991, either 91 or 92, the Mariners had a pitcher named Roger Salkeld. Oh, yeah. He was probably number three on the list, and he got hurt, and he never made it. Um, I I think he pitched a little in the big leagues, but he got hurt, and he was never the same. And it it just, that's the top Well, Matt Anderson,
3: he was a top pick for the Tigers in the late 90s. That didn't work out either.
4: Yeah. He was number one overall pick. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Just...
2: A little bit of a money saver, there. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I guess my, my point with Whitley was more that as far as, you know, you just don't know until you know. Because, like you said, I've watched him a number of times since, too. And the stuff looks great
4: when he's got it controlled. But he yeah, has I've seen pretty- him control every time, too, man. That's <laughs> a crazy thing. Like, yeah. I know his control comes and goes and he's had issues. I've never seen the guy not throw strikes. Like I said, he, yeah. he was in the fall league back-to-back years, and he led the league in strikeouts both times. And he just dealt. Like, I probably saw him pitch five or six times in the fall league, and he just dealt. This spring, he was throwing strikes. Under Armour game, he was throwing strikes. It's it, it's wow. just insane.
2: Yeah, and that's just it. Like, I, yeah, you,
4: you just never know with someone
2: like that. Now, I guess, Jim, one of the last things that I kind of want to make sure we get into, because it has changed a lot in the last, let's say, five years or so, there's a lot of kind of testing that major league baseball is doing with different rules and things like that in the minors. And what do you think that does as far as trying to evaluate what a player truly is? When you, when a guy in, in, let's say a ball changes their pickoff rules and all of a sudden everyone in a ball is stealing 50 bases,
4: it makes it kind of tough to go, okay, so who's really the good base. The Southern league baseball, right? say, yeah. Yeah. I think the baseball is the biggest one. I mean, Stolen bases have always been kind of wacky because you'd have guys. It's funny because, like, look, a lot of what drives the prospect stuff is fantasy baseball. People want to know what players they need for the future. And, like, people are always looking for steals. Yeah, no, I mean, everybody plays it. And, like, you'll see some guys steal 40 bases in A-ball. And, like, I know from writing reports and time scouts, the guy's got, like, fringy to average speed, but he has good instincts. He's stealing off the pitchers. The catchers, you know, are like, go watch catchers in A-ball and go watch catchers in the big leagues. And look at where they put the throws. In the big leagues, oh, yeah. the throw's on the bag most of the time. Yeah. In A ball, the throw's not on the bag. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, so steals, I've, steel toes have always been out of whack. So those I don't worry about too much. I think the pre-tacked ball this year is the most interesting one because they were using it in the Southern League and strikeout rates were up huge at the beginning of the year. And there's two guys who jump out at me. One was Andrew Abbott, who was not known as an overpowering strikeout nope. pitcher. And it was sure. like, okay. Is this really for – like, how real is this? Well, he's pitched really well in the big leagues. Um, not striking out guys at the same rate he was in the starting mm-hmm. league. And then the, from the mm-hmm. hitting side, Owen Casey, the Cubs, who's oh, got about God. as much power as anybody in the minor leagues, has crushed the ball season long. But he was striking out, I think in April, like a 40% clip. Yep. And it was like 37% over the first two months. And I do our Cubs list. I do a bunch of stuff from our key. And they're always giving me a hard time. We had Casey down a little bit on our list coming into the year. And and then we we moved him up. He's three on the list now. We updated, but it was the, his strikeout rate is down to like twenty five percent since yeah. they have gone away from the pre tack ball. So how much of that is is it guys are spinning the ball less? How much is he's learned something, made some adjustments? How much of it is he refined his a like you don't know? And so yeah. I I think the pre tack ball like you also had. And I've lost track. Like it was a couple years ago, but like they switched to the major league ball in Triple A. Yep. you'd have guys go from Double A AA to Triple A. And are like, I, are they using the major league ball in Double A this year? Uh, I don't know. I know. I guess they, I know they, they were talking about one point, but I know yeah. they're using Triple A. So you would see yeah. guys go from Double A AA to Triple A. And I have I remember doing the Triple A championship game one year, probably 2019. With Jim Cott was one of the broadcasters. And he was showing, look at the AAA ball. And I think he described it as like a rock with seams painted on it. Like it was like it was like the major league balls are like yeah. ridiculous. Like, like, and again, I mean, they've been tweaked since then, so maybe not yeah. as bad. But he's just like, like, I would not like to pitch with this ball at all. But you would have guys go from double A AA to AAA and just get rocked. And similarly, you'd have guys put up huge offensive numbers in triple A and Yep. there's some band boxes in AAA a two. So you have to factor that in. It's tough, but I, I do think the pre tacked ball, and because they only used it for part of the season, you know, I don't know if there's enough, you know, data on either side to make comparisons. Like, like, I, like I said, I don't know. Is it, is, was that solely to the reason Owen Casey was striking out so much or was his approach messed up and he's adjusted it. You'd have to watch a lot of video to see like almost pitch by pitch what he's swinging at and, he's missing at but yeah it is it is when they do that stuff you kind of have to take that into consideration Mm -hmm. like even with i'll give you another one the um the abs system that up yeah um like that's another reason i think offense has been up in triple a this year is talking to farm directors and scouts they so they're 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 trying we're eventually gonna have abs in the big leagues whether it's going to be calling every pitch or whether it's going to be the challenge system, which is actually kind of cool. I've seen them both in Arizona fall league. We don't know, but one of the biggest gripes hitters have with ABS is if you set up your three-dimensional box, like you can have a pitch. I don't have a. I can't do it here. You can have a pitch, like kind of come in and clip the bottom of the strike zone yeah, and then continue to break. And it's like the catcher's catching almost in the dirt and it's a strike because it clipped the bottom corner of the strike zone or, or whatever, and so the ABS system. I my understanding is they have kind of configured the strike zone to eliminate those strikes. So the strike zone actually is smaller than pitchers certainly would agree it should be, and so that's been an adjustment too. When you come from AA to AAA, the strike zone suddenly shrinks on you while you're trying to make the final step to get into the big hmm. league. So again, you kind of have to take that into consideration as well and then you get to the big leagues and there's no abs so yeah it's like all that stuff teams are definitely trying to figure that and like yeah. i know for example um like even non-abs but like i was just thinking about strikes and how they're kind of arbitrary i know when evan carter was in spring training with the rangers he had like 30 plate appearances or 20 plate and he drew like 10 walks he also struck out seven times and the rangers told me i think like Three or four, more about half of his strikeouts were on balls outside the strike zone. Like his eye is that good, and he just does not swing. Like the ball's like a half inch off the plate. Evan Carter doesn't swing. Like his his strike zone is that refined. I'm, I might be exaggerating, but you know what I'm saying. Like he's yeah. that honed in, and he was getting rung up on pitches that that when they looked at the the TrackMan and the Hawkeye were not strikes, but were yeah. called strikes. So so that's another one. The ABS is a it's it's tough on pitchers to adjust. Like I know talking to the giants about Kyle Harrison, yeah, I was just, that's good. what I was going to bring up. Yep. And his control has never been It's funny. Cause no. he was, a, he was more of a polished lefty in high school. And then his stuff, he told me, I talked to him this a couple Springs ago, he only got to pitch once his senior year because of the pandemic and his stuff had made a leap in that one start. So it wasn't like his stuff made a leap in pro ball. When we saw him in 21. He thinks his stuff would have made a leap in 20 had he been able to pitch. And, but anyway, twenty-one, twenty-two. he's trying to harness it. And then at the beginning of this year, he was walking like seven or eight guys per nine. And that's, I think, because his stuff moves so much. And because the, sh- the strike zone shrunk on him yeah. in triple A. Wow. Yeah. He
2: he had an interview recently after one of his starts where he said, you know, now instead of pitching to a spot, I can let my ball do what it does. Or right? I let the pitch yeah. do what it does. And in the major leagues, my catcher can take care of the rest, which yeah, and, th- and, and th- there's a lot to say about that.
3: The art of pitching, that's right. And maybe what you're alluding to here, Jim, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but I'm thinking now that maybe some of these inflated pitching numbers at AAA across both leagues, PCL, International League, maybe it's not just the ballparks. Maybe it's also a combination of the ballparks
4: and the strict. Well, well, I mean, if you're getting fewer strikes called, you're right. If you're getting fewer strikes called, you're putting the hitters in hitters' interesting. Yeah, I mean that's part of it. You know, you got yeah. So that's part of it too. So it's, it's that, that's why I mean Kyle Harrison. I, I mean I don't have his numbers, for him, but I think he still walked maybe over five per nine innings in Triple A. A small sample size, but he's been mm-hmm. really good in the big leagues. But yeah, I mean that's again. I mean we all look at the numbers, but there's numbers behind the numbers, and there's context yeah. behind the numbers as to you know what do you really, you know what do you make making. Yeah. At. So, I mean, it's interesting too. Like we, we're fortunate. We got access to synergy a couple of years ago, which is wonderful for the draft. Like, I don't, I don't know how I would live without synergy now for the draft because you could call up and you can look at like, like D one guys has almost every pitch they throw. And even oh, yeah. like, you'll have like Juco guys, D two guy, like it's amazing, but they also have triple a and double a also. And you can sit there and, like, if – I mean, I will not say I've done this for Kyle Harrison, but if I wanted to do a deep dive on Kyle Harrison, I could watch every pitch Kyle Harrison's thrown in AAA this year and look – or I could even separate out and look at every ball he's thrown in AAA – and see how many of those were borderline pitches. Oh,
3: wow. Okay. That is great stuff. That is really fascinating. I'm going to apply that to my own fantasy prospect analysis going forward. It's something I'm going to really consider. And if I could take away one thing at least from the show, that's a fantastic day. There are two quick things here I wanted to hit on because these people have been patient. Uh, Mike said, is there a prospect you're really high on outside of the top 10, Jim?
4: Um... I'm going to have to look at our list because it's. it's I've, I've been on good vacation the last two weeks. Enjoy your life, man. List. Take a break. So I have not uh, First vacation of the year. Like the guy who I've been high on for a while, he's outside the top 10. The guy who I was super high on last year out of the draft was Kate Horton. And and like mm-hmm. he's now one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Um, well, you know, I'll tell I'll give you, I mean, there's a lot of these guys are good, but I'll, I'll give you two guys outside the top 10. And they're both in the 20, in the 11, 20 range. I think Wyatt Langford gets overshadowed a little bit. Oh. We've got him at number thirteen. The Rangers took him fourth overall, and I think in all the Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz talk, a lot of years Wyatt Langford would have been an easy number one pick. I mean, oh. he's got his—he's he, got probably as much power. Do you think Brandon the Tigers minors. should have taken him? But if it's you would have
3: after. done it over for, versus Max Clark, I'm just curious, real quick.
4: Well, they saved money to give it to Kevin McGonigal. Okay. I mean. I like Max Clark. I would have taken like just just straight up talent-wise, I would have taken White Langford. Now that said, Max Clark potential number 1 pick in a lot of years too. Max okay. Clark's really talented. And he costs less and they use that money elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, why like I think Max Clark has a better chance to play center field than White Langford and he's quicker. But but Langford's a good athlete for his size, has a chance to play center. Um I think the arm will definitely play in right. Huge huge power. Yeah. So anyway, I just think I mean, we, we've ranked him 13th. I think everybody else's list has him ranked pretty high, but I do think he gets overlooked because everybody was like, Paul Skeen's Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeen's Dylan Cruz. Um, and he got overlooked there a little bit. Um, and then the other one, and he's been hurt a little bit this year, not anything serious, but it just delayed the start of the season. I don't think people realize how good Colson Montgomery is with oh, the White yeah. Sox. Um, he's young, and and I'm not going to get on a long soapbox here, but when people tell you don't draft 19-year-old high school players – that's garbage. You should draft high school <laughs> players. If Nineteen, yeah. that's fine. Bobby Witt Jr. was nineteen, also. Well, don't take Bobby Witt Jr. Don't take Colson Montgomery. There's Manny Ramirez. I, I could rattle off a bunch of. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sidetrack myself. But anyway, Colson Montgomery, I think, uh, because he missed like the first couple months of the season, has kind of flown under the radar. But that guy, like, he's more athletic. Like, it's easy to say six foot four shortstop. He's going to outgrow the position. I think he keeps looking better at shortstop. He's not going to win a Gold Glove there, but he might actually be a legitimate shortstop, kind of like a younger Corey Seager what yep. it was in his earlier days. <laughs> and he, he yep. compared to Corey Locke. he's six foot four, lefty and shortstop, yep. and he can really hit, and he's got a ton of power. So um, I think those are probably the two guys who. I mean, I don't think anybody underrates them, but those are two guys that it's not out of the realm of possibility. Let's say Skeens and Dylan Cruz get promoted to big leagues next year that like mid by mid-season next year that Wyatt Lankford and Colson Montgomery, I mean, shoot, they could be the one and two prospects on the list, depending no. on who else graduates. They're that good. oh
3: wow, that's fun. And then the other one was, since you do the Cubs, Mr. Alexander Canario was just called up. Any quick comments on Canario?
4: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. you know He hit 37 homers last year. I think that was second in the minors. And it was funny because Matt Mervis got a lot of – attention and he had 36 home runs in the same system canario hit 37 and he didn't quite get the same attention i mean he wasn't a non-drafted free agent like murvis was um you know unfortunately Mervis, he didn't never really got much of a shot with the cubs this year like they, they brought in eric osmer whatever so canario hit 37 homers right field arm you know there's some swing and miss to his game he's very aggressive but it's legit like classic right field mm-hmm. profile and he had i think it was the dominican winter league played winter ball this year he had a base running mishap where his foot hit the back funny and he hit the ground, and he, I think, dislocated his ankle and, and dis- or dislocated his shoulder and tore ankle ligaments. He, he had to have two surgeries. It was pretty serious. And I honestly thought he was going to miss – my impression was he was going to miss most of the year. But maybe he'd come back, like, in late August or something, and then we'd see him in the fall league. And he came back, I want to say, middle of the season. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, but he's he's been getting increasingly better – in triple A, so I, I was actually. I mean, I, I'm really happy for him because sometimes you have an injury like that and you lose most of a year and you might miss your opportunity. Like, like p crow Armstrong's coming, he's gonna take up an outfield spot, he can have to sign long term. They got Suzuki, real. Um, I, I'm yeah. you know, they got talk Mike, Mike playing yeah. out of his <laughs> mind. Yeah, Cody <laughs> Bellinger crazy. Like, Cody, Cody Bellinger coming back, so anyway they and ha- Casey's coming too. So like you, it, it was not impossible that let's say he missed most of this year that PCA makes a team next year. And Casey's up by midseason, and Alexander Canario never really gets a shot. Like, like that could have happened. So he's got legitimate power. I'll be interested to see. I haven't, I I saw he got promoted. I haven't seen any statement like, Oh, he's going to play, you know, this is going to be his role. How much at playing time he's going to get, you know, he's, He's the type of guy who could struggle in the majors initially because he does have. He's more of a power over hit, aggressive guy, and I'm sure that scattering reports out there. So I'm sure major league pitchers are gonna be like, okay, let's see if he chases a little bit. But he also has power, so it'll be interesting. We'll see. Like I don't know if this precludes Pete Crow Armstrong coming up, like because the rosters expand by two more mm-hmm. tomorrow. Yeah. So maybe we'll see PCA. Uh, remember the good old days, forty um, man no, rosters. Those were the that days. Would, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, now you just get two, but I think we could see PC. But I, I was, I don't know Alexander Canario. When I saw the news, I was really, really happy for him. Cause like I said, I thought there's a chance that like this, this like basically base running accident could have derailed his career. And he made, you know, not only did he come back sooner than expected, I didn't think he, I mean, honestly, I didn't think, if you told me playing the big leagues this year, like he's playing in the big leagues and the Cubs are contending. It'd be like, what? Like, why, why would they call him? up? Like, like I wouldn't have thought he'd be ready to help a contending club. So, great for him. Oh, that's great.
2: Canario.
3: Check it out, guys.
2: Now if they could just call up Mervis and give Mervis a shot oh. to actually do
4: something. Yeah, I, I feel bad for him because <laughs> they signed Eric Hosmer, and Eric Hosmer was cooked. I just didn't – like, I know Eric Hosmer cost him the minimum. And the thing was, you weren't a full-fledged contender at the beginning of the year. Like, like so – like I could have seen if they like, well, I could see bringing in Trey Mancini and I know that didn't work out, but like, okay, we'll platoon Mervis and Mancini. We'll ease him in. We'll see how it goes. And that didn't happen. And I can't remember if the team was struggling or hot. Cause the Cubs have been hot and cold all year long. Mm-hmm. When he came up, like he needed to produce. And the one thing that Mervis had done a nice job of last year, besides hitting home runs was his approach, like his strength to walk ratio got yeah. better at every level. And he got to the big leagues and he like a lot of rookies. He was trying to do too much. And he struck out four times as much as he walked. And back in AAA, he's gotten his approach back. But now, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, they're expecting to contend next year, which they should. I because they're contending now. They're not going to just say, oh, Matt Mervis is our first baseman. Or, like, like they're probably going to, like, whether they bring Belger back and put him at first, because PCA is going to be in center field pretty soon. I don't know. But, like, I, I wonder with Matt Mervis, like I was talking about with Canario, he might not get another 100 at-bats with the Cubs no. to show what he can do. Um, and it's unfortunate. I mean, that's – I mean, it, it, people know it's tough to make the major leagues, but, that, but you also have to have kind of the stars aligned. And, you know, because the Cubs also got better this year. Like if the Cubs, you know, we thought, what, 10 days before the deadline, the Cubs might be trading players. So let's yeah. say they hadn't gotten on a hot streak and they traded players and they went 70-92 mm-hmm. or whatever this year. Then they might say, you know what, we got – like then, A – they might say we got to give Matt Mervis two months to show what he can do, and/or B, okay, like we're still kind of a year away, so we'll let Mervis show us what he can do. But now, because they got hot, it's hard to give him that real bats. deal.
3: 8K yeah. over 500. It's unreal, man. Cubs totally turned it around. And remember, me and Ben we were having conversations back in late May into June, like, hey, David Ross is he going to figure? Is he the right guy for this job? What's going on there and now? Booyah. Party on the north side. Yeah,
4: no, it's party
3: southbound. on the north side. And also, Mike was saying I'm really high on Connor Norby and Kobe Mayo. And then he puts a smiley face. He loves the Orioles, yeah. so that's just
2: kind yeah. of it. he's an Oriole.
3: Yeah. No, oh, that's yeah. a good yeah.
4: team to be a fan yeah. of. Like, I mean, it's like I, I will say this: like th- they've been our number one farm system. We do we do the rankings twice a year. I think for our last five rankings, but I have in 35 years of doing this, never seen a team have the number one prospect, Natalie Rutschman. And then shortly after that, have the number one prospect in a different guy. And that was Gunnar Henderson. And then yep. shortly after that, they have the number one prospect in Jackson holiday. And I also can't think of a team that had two guys who were the number one prospect in baseball and they graduated both the guys to the big leagues and they still had the best farm system in baseball. I mean, that's,
3: yep. well, they that's haven't traded away a lot of assets um,
4: either. You know, Maybe they, they should have, but why not? They're winning. So why should they? I think this offseason, season, I mean, their owners crying about how yeah. you know you can't Angelus pay guys. Like, well, you're not. How would you know? You're not paying guys because yeah. you don't have to. But um, no, I, I think this off season, now that I mean they're going to make the playoffs. Clearly, now their window has opened that they're going to have to. Like I like Norby and I like Mayo too. It's just like where are all these guys going to play? <laughs> you know, I mean, you have <laughs> you have Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Hall. They have to play somewhere in the infield, and you have Mayo and. I mean, you have Mountcastle at first, and you have Joey Ortiz, and you have Norby, Norby might be an outfielder, but they got Colton Cowser and Heston Kerstatter trying to break in the outfield, Look at all MLB two.
3: prospects like, team, Like, the whole major league roster in another year and a half, just all of their prospects across the board. Outfield, infield, catcher.
4: Yeah. <laughs> catcher, yeah. No, pretty much. Like, they just need to find some pitching. So, I think I think we'll see them do make some moves this offseason, and probably, like, I, you know, whether it's sign, trade, or both. But they're also getting to the point where – not only have all these prospects, they're all in AAA in the majors. They're starting to stack up. So you kind of need to either have a place to play them or, yeah, or trade them. That's a good point. Yeah.
3: Well, I got to tell you, this has been a real pleasure. Jim, you crushed it. You had so much information. And there's so many more questions I would want to ask, but we will save it for another time. Uh, we'd love to have you back if you ever get a chance. Sure. I love talking baseball. Thank you so yeah. much to Jim Callis. MLB pipeline. Anything you want to mention, yeah. Jim, that you didn't get to mention?
4: Um, no, I mean, just invite people to check out our site, MLB Pipeline. The nice thing is, I mean, because it's MLB.com, and we're trying to promote the game. Everything's free. All our scouting reports, all the videos, all the all that stuff's free. Um, you know, I guess our next big project, I got, as you can see here, sorry, my daughter's puppy, who's – it's five almost 5 o'clock here, which is when they eat. we're watching our daughter's puppy along with our three, and he's really hungry. Yeah, there's think so I saw three golden
3: – two or three golden retrievers and a picture on your Twitter profile. I was like, oh, I love dogs.
4: Well, we, we have three. Those are ours. Oh, this wow. is my daughter's who's who's home for college. He's going back to Seattle soon, but he's okay. apparently gotten hungry. But I'm um, so <laughs> distracted. What was, I, what was I saying? MLB Pipeline Rules. Got, any,
2: anything you're looking to promote. Oh,
4: MLB Pipeline. I said it's all for us. our next big thing, like it's crazy that we're almost done with the season, but I think our next big thing, we'll probably do some college and high school top 20 draft lists at some point in September, and then we got Arizona Fall League Are you going to be out, out there, Jim? So, dude. I am. I think I'm out there for the first and oh, last week. Are you We're there, there during first out, pitch, so. Arizona,
3: or not? Is, is okay. I don't yeah. think I've I am gone the last year. couple of years, and I, I don't. If you'd been there and I didn't meet you, there's a lot of people there.
4: No, I had I, 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 I've been in the past. I haven't the last couple of years. Oh yeah, it's, it's a I, I'm, bet, so. I'm a
3: lifer now. So if I ever get a chance to see you out there, I'll definitely say hi. <laughs> and it'll be a pleasure to talk to Jim Callis. Make sure you follow.
4: What is it this year? Because is it, it going to be the same week? Yeah, as the it's fall November second through the fifth. I'll be out there. I'll be. I'll be there for the. I'll, I will come back for the Fall Stars game and then stay oh, for the. Oh, great! The okay, cool. So yeah, that's on that a Sunday. Unless I get eaten by a pack of. Never. They're so here. sweet. They're the <laughs> sweetest dogs on earth.
3: I love golden retrievers.
4: They are. Although this one's very hungry. I've got my, our six-year-old golden retrievers looking at me like, what is the puppy doing and. We have two other Golden Retrievers wandering Uh, around the house. Well, make
3: sure if you love Golden Retrievers, you're following Jim on Twitter. Of course, that's what you should always be doing. Uh, Ben, Big Gentle Ben on Twitter. Ben, you were the one who made this happen. Jim, thanks for liking Ben enough to come on the show. I really appreciate that. Anytime.
4: He, I mean, everyone loves Ben. Right.
3: Ben's the yeah. best. Big, gentle Ben on Twitter. He's also nominated for an Internet Baseball Writers Association Award for Best Prospects Writer. So please vote for Ben, which is currently going until September 8th. And, yes, I'm up for host. You can vote for me, too. But I'm more interested in seeing Ben win for the Prospects Writer. Because uh, so, that would yeah. – Six-year-old I would say no. All right,
1: two, so. like, now all right well, thanks, done, everybody. Done. This has
3: been done. the Plausible awesome. Podcast, 2 whales 2 Zs, from Jim Callis. We get appreciate it greatly. Ben, Michael, thanks, to everybody. chat. We'll catch you guys next time prospects is a curious thing. Make a person uh uh